Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Sixth chapter of the letter to the church at Ephesus. If you are using the Bibles there in the chairs, it's on page 816. So we are coming to the end of this letter and concluding our study of the, the, really the view of the church through spiritual eyes. That one of the reasons that we uh, began this study is because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about the churches today. And uh, this letter lays out the purpose of the church is to bring glory to God, not just in this world, but throughout the universe, that those in principalities and powers in heavenly places are amazed at the work that God is doing, and that he would receive glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And what we saw is the first three chapters deal with what God is doing and the idea of that we are seated in heavenly places because of the work of Christ. Beginning in chapter 4, it talks about the walk that we're to have as believers and the various aspects of that walk. And then chapter 6 brings us to the warfare, that we are involved in a battle. Now, suppose that we were going to have special meetings dealing with the spiritual battle that we are engaged in on a a daily basis and, and looking for a special speaker. You know, when we're looking for speakers for various events, our missions conference, our men's retreat, things like that, think, okay, who who would be a good person to speak to this topic? And suppose we were to say, okay, who would be a good person to talk to us about the spiritual battle in which we're engaged? And I, if I were doing this with our staff and different names would start coming up, we'd kick around some ideas and somebody said, you know, it'd really be nice if we could get somebody from history. You know, like a John Bunyan, if he were still around. He, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which is, is really based on the book of Ephesians and the battle that's going on. And so, well, if we're going to be thinking that way, why not just get the Apostle Paul? And imagine in your eye, mind's eye, since we're doing an imaginary discussion here, that you thought, you know, what would it be like to have Paul come and have him talk to us about spiritual warfare? You know, to, to have him come and watch him walk onto our, our platform, coming to the pulpit, and imagine he was wearing that armor. Now, obviously, the, the armor that's being mentioned here in chapter 6 is, is using the symbolism of a, of a Roman soldier. But if he were wearing the literal armor and, and to see the, the war scars on his armor because of spiritual battles, I think if he were to walk in, we'd notice the, the weathered face, the scars that he had from the spiritual battles. And, and as he would walk past us to see, this was a man who's, who's really seen some, some physical abuse because of his stand for Christ. I mean, he tells us that five times he was beaten with rods he was beaten with stripes and and the jews wanted to be careful they didn't overdo it so the 40 was the limit and they would only do 39 how how gracious of them so 195 times he had received lashes that he had been beaten with rods i mean he he would have scar tissue on top of scar tissue and then to see the seriousness of the gospel. And, and I think if, if we were to announce he's going to be with us Sunday morning, Sunday night, we would make an effort to, to hear what he's going to have to say. 
And you say, you know, we're, we're excited about even having him for the evening as long as he doesn't preach till midnight like he did in Troas. And that poor guy fell asleep and fell out of a third-story window and was killed and Paul raised him back to life. Um, it's like, you know, but, but we'd be interested. And, and then just, you know, to hear the explanation, and I'm sure he'd have amazing illustrations of what had taken place. I mean, we could read some of that in Scripture. And suppose that at, toward the end he opened it up for questions and somebody said, well, Paul, is there anything else that we need to have in mind as, as we look at the spiritual battle? And he said, well, you really need to have the right attitude of prayer. Now, what would we think at that point? I think for some of us, we'd be you know, getting ready to close up our notebooks and put our pens away. Or, and so, but that is a significant part of what he brings to our attention in the conclusion of this letter. Follow with me as I begin reading in verse 14. We're going to begin in verse 14 so that we get the, the context, but we're going to be looking at the, the latter part of this passage this morning. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, in that it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but th that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychius, a beloved brother, faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace, be, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Let's look to the Lord as we come to this passage. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things out of your, your law. As, as we have considered the spiritual battle in which we are engaged, we pray, Father, that we would be thoroughly equipped for that battle. But that as we consider the remainder of this, that we would be empowered because we come daily and faithfully, regularly before the throne of grace. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. As we have read this passage, and a couple of weeks ago we considered the spiritual battle that, that all of us are part of. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you are in a battle. We mentioned that, that the spiritual walk takes place on a battlefield, not the playground. But my question for you this morning is, are you victorious in your spiritual battle? As you look back at this past week or the past couple of weeks, would you say, yes, this has been a time of victory, or would you say, no, this is really an area where I have struggled? What I want us to see this morning is that to have a victorious Christian life and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, you must pray and partner with other believers, that we need one another. 
It's not accidental or incidental that this emphasis on prayer comes at the end of this letter that's describing the amazing privilege that we have as believers, as, as a church, as the bride of Christ in this world. The letter began to, by taking us into the heavenly places where we're seated with Christ, that, that we are accepted not because of our merit, not because we come and, and God needs us. We're accepted in the beloved. We're accepted because of Jesus Christ and His finished work. It's, it's not anything that we can contribute, but it's because of Christ alone. And the only thing that you and I bring and contribute to our salvation is, is really the sin that made it necessary. That He came into this world to save sinners, as Paul said, of, of whom I am chief. And, and yet we're called then to stand firm, to stand fast in a wicked world, and we're to do all to stand. The letter began in Ephesians 1.1 as Paul addressed the believers at the church of Ephesus as saints. Those who had been set apart, sanctified for a purpose. It's, it's not that they've reached another tier of spirituality, that if you've trusted Christ, you're a saint. You say, well, I don't really feel saintly. No, because we're in a battle. But we're given the armor that we need. And to be a saint in this world, whether it be in ancient Ephesus, which was a pagan city, or modern-day Chandler, or Gilbert, or Mesa, or whatever area, we have to live in unity, holiness, love, light, and wisdom. That's how we're called to walk. And we're called to walk in the Spirit because we're in a battle. We're to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that we have received and according to the good works that have been predetermined by God that we would walk in them. So what does it take to do this? Well, the first thing that we see in this passage is we have to pray for personal victory. We see that in verse 18, praying always. And, and when I say pray for victory, I don't mean merely that, that that's one of our prayer requests. That that's a kind of a checkbox on, on my prayer list that, okay, pray that I have victory. That is part of it, but it's actually the endeavor, the act, the pattern of praying that is necessary for us to be spiritually victorious. Notice the repetition of the word all in this verse. Praying always, with all prayer, with all perseverance for all the saints. The repetition of that word all is helpful for us and instructive of what it means of how we're to pray. The first thing that we see is we're to pray continuously. We're to pray at all times. You know, it's easy for us to get comfortable when things are going well and say, well, yeah, I you know, I know I need to pray, but it's it's not as pressing as when we have times of trouble. And there are special times that we need to pray specifically. But understanding that it's easy to become complacent if we're not careful, and understand this happened to the church at Ephesus. When we began our study, we looked at how the church was founded. We looked back in Acts at the founding of the church at Ephesus. But we also looked at what took place in Revelation as this is one of the seven churches that are addressed in Revelation, and the church was probably about 40 years old in Revelation chapter 2, and they'd become complacent. A church younger than Tri-City Baptist Church when it's addressed in Revelation. 
And one of the things that was brought out when that church is addressed in Revelation 2 was that, yes, they were doctrinally strong, and they were active in service, and yet, they, and, and they, they seemed to have a really solid fellowship with one another, but they had grown cold spiritually. And so it says, I have something against you. You've left your first love. How do we keep from losing our first love? We stay in a, a spirit of prayer. That we're praying at all times. That we, we keep our spiritual fervency through fellowship and through, fair, and through prayer. I, I mentioned as we began, one of the things that I enjoyed in New England is there's, there's so much of the landscape that is dotted by church steeples. You see them in, in, on calendars in the fall, in the winter, you have these, these church steeples that, that are marking the landscape, and yet sadly, for most of those churches today, they are grave markers rather than the markings of vibrant spiritual congregations. They're churches that have departed from the faith. They've left their first love. And, and the danger of that, that, that one of the things that we have to realize is our prayer life is an indication of how we're doing spiritually. David Martin Lloyd-Jones made the comment, our ultimate position as a Christian is tested by the character of your, our prayer life. So how do we do in prayer? Another, another pastor made the comment that as the pulse is the primary indication of my physical life, my prayer is the proof of my spiritual life. If you were to check your spiritual pulse by how you do in prayer, how are you? How are we doing? You know, do you pray? And I don't, I don't mean, just mean at meals, though we should pray at meals. And not just when we're in a bind, though we pray then. You know, but it, often it's easy for us to kind of let prayer slide until pressure comes. You know, it's like the little boy that was visiting his, his grandparents for Thanksgiving and, and the food was served and he starts to dig in and his mom said, no, we, we pray first. He said, well, we don't have to pray at grandma's house. She's a good cook. <laughs> no, we ought to pray to be thankful, not just for safety. <laughs> but do we have a spirit of prayer? Are, are we a people of prayer? Dads, do you pray with your family? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing, that, that we're in a spirit of communion with the Lord. Prayer takes us into the very presence of God. We come before the throne of grace. Do we understand how safe we are in the presence of God? That in the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear any evil because he's with me. Well, prayer is what reminds me of that. One commentator wrote that a Christian soldier fights on his knees. We're to pray continuously. But we're also to pray, secondly, pray thoroughly with all prayer and supplication. And there are different words that are being used in verse 18. It's, it's, it's not just requesting, though that's part of it. But there are different kinds of, of prayer. As the, the acrostic acts sometimes helps us, that adoration that we, we adore God for who He is. Confession, that we come confessing our sins. We come with thanksgiving, that we're, we remember what He has done in the past, that as we remember God's faithfulness in the past, it encourages us that He will be faithful in the present. We can trust Him for the future. 
My heart was encouraged by our, our testimonies last Sunday evening and our, our praise service of God's working in the various aspects here at, at Tri-City and as we, we heard a cross-section of what God is doing. And, and we take time at Thanksgiving to reflect on what God has done, done but we, we need to do that regularly, that that ought to be consistent, that, that we're giving thanks and then supplication, that we're asking. And it's right for us to ask, but we don't want that to be the only thing we do. You know, have you ever had it when your, your children were young or maybe now with grandchildren where they come running up and, and, and throw their arms around you and say, I love you, and then they run away? And say, well, don't interrupt me like that. Of course we don't do that. Our heart is warmed. Do we ever come to the Lord and just say, Lord, I love you? Or do we always come with a request? You know, like, I, like a teenager, I need the keys, I need more money, I need, you know. Do we come to the Lord just thanking Him and adoring Him for who He is? That's praying thoroughly. It's not just asking, though that is part of it, and that is a significant part. But when we're at, in this attitude of prayer, it, it helps us get the spiritual victory. And, and so we need to be asking. But notice what else it says there in, in this verse, in verse 18. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Do we pray in the Spirit? Say, well, well, can you pray in the flesh? Yes, you can. James 4 deals with this. James 4 verse 3 says you ask amiss so that you can spend it on your own pleasures. That we come with selfish prayers. They are self-centered. That's not praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is asking for God's will. It's a result of walking in the Spirit, which we considered back in chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. And, and such prayer, then, is going to be characterized by a heart that's in tune with God, an attitude of thankfulness, because a person who's walking in the Spirit is a thankful person, giving thanks always. And there's a spirit of submission saying, Lord, I want your will to, to be done. This is really what we, we mean when we pray in Jesus' name, that we want His will. We're bringing these admonitions that it would be in surrender to the will of God. And we're striving to see that happen. See, prayer is a, a spiritual endeavor. Proud people don't pray. They, they don't think they need help. It's when we're humbled and, and we realize, I can't do this, that we come in prayer. And so we pray thoroughly. But it's, it's a spiritual endeavor. It, it takes effort. I am, I am encouraged. And in a couple of weeks, we'll be having our, our, our monthly all-church prayer meeting. And it really is a prayer meeting. It's not a Bible study. It's not a big fellowship time. It's a let's come together and pray. And, and I realize not everyone can come, but do you try to come? Because it really is a spiritual endeavor. That we would pray always with all prayer. And then the third one is that we would pray persistently, being watchful to this end with all perseverance. The, the idea of watchfulness there in verse 18 is, is being alert. It, it's a recognition that we, we need to recognize there are concerns. In classical Greek literature, the word would, would speak of, of lying awake at night, of, of lying awake and, and watching the sheep and, and a, a shepherd who's out on the field and he's keeping watch over the flock by night. 
He's aware that there's predators. He's concerned that nothing happens to the, the flock. Well, when it's saying praying, being watchful, as we read this, watchful to this end, it's the recognition that we have to be alert. You know, alertness is always necessary when you're living in a war zone. We live in a spiritual war zone. This word for watchful is used four times in the New Testament, and three of those times it has reference to praying. Back in Luke chapter 21, it says this in verse 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, the idea of dissipation there, looseness, which is we, we saw back in chapter 5 is the opposite of walking in the Spirit, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy or have strength to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That we're to watch and pray. How do we escape the corruption and the cares of this world? By being in an attitude of prayerfulness. Be serious about our prayer life. To be vigilant with all perseverance. You know, prayer is difficult. It's hard. And, you know, it's an area that I get convicted as I think about it. Because it, it's, it seems like I, I need to do something more. You know, and sometimes we really don't get serious until there's a, a very real need in our life or the need of a loved one. And then we, we get very intent on praying specifically and, and persistently. But let's, let's face it, it's difficult in our age because we're so used to instant communication. I mean, we, we send a text message and, and we see that it was delivered. In fact, it was delivered three minutes ago. Why haven't they responded? You know, you know and, and sometimes I can see it was read. So they, they got it and they read it and they haven't responded. What's going on? And don't we sometimes wonder why God doesn't respond? Like, Lord, I, I already prayed. I mean, it was three minutes ago. And, and, and you haven't answered my prayer yet. Do you realize sometimes God's answer is wait? <laughs> that he has a bigger picture and plan? And, and, and he isn't bowing to our schedule? But the truth is we find that hard. We, we expect instant communication. We, we are in an age where that is, is easy to do and our phone tells us and we have email and, and text messages and, and if it's really an emergency, we can call. And God says, call upon me. So why haven't you answered? Because he has a different plan than ours. And part of it is we're to be persevering. We're to exercise that shield of faith. We're to bring the sword of the Spirit. We're, sometimes he wants us to wait. And, and he has reasons for that, to, to help us better understand our needs, to help us grow. But recognizing that there is a battle that is raging and in, in satanic wars cannot be won by human power. So we have to be persistent. And then we have to pray compassionately. That's the fourth thing that we see here. For all saints. We're to pray for all believers. You know, wouldn't it be easier if these all, these all words in this verse were some? Praying at some times with some prayer, with some perseverance, and for some people. Do you really want to pray for everybody? That's what we're called to. 
The context is, again, that reminder that there is a spiritual battle raging and every believer is involved in that struggle. Folks, we all struggle. To be a believer in this battle is, is to recognize all of us struggle. I mean, that's kind of a shock for children to realize that their parents have, parents have spiritual struggles. And, and to recognize that. And, and we need to pray for one another. Do you remember how Paul began this letter and the prayers he had in this letter back in chapter 1, verses 15 through 19? He prayed that the believers would display a genuine faith and love and develop in wisdom and spiritual discernment so that they would know the hope of and power of God that's at work in their life. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, Paul prayed very specifically that they would have a dynamic spiritual life that Christ would be at home in their lives, that he wasn't just treated like a guest, that he could rearrange the furniture, that he could clean things out, that he, that he would be settled down. Paul prayed that they would grow in spiritual discernment and that they would demonstrate a practical godliness. These were his prayer requests. And it's interesting not just what he's asking for, but what he isn't asking for in this. See, a spiritual, spiritually healthy person is going to be devoted to the welfare of others also, especially other believers, for all saints. When we become so consumed with our own problems and our own lives, we fall into a dangerous self-centeredness that tends to isolate us from others who can pray for us. We need one another. And Satan wants us cut off from others. You know, if he can isolate us from the rest of the troops, we're much more vulnerable. And therefore, we need to be praying persistently and for one another, for all saints. This is why we need a church family. We need a body that we're connected with, that we pray for each other, that we can share our concerns, that we can encourage one another, that we need them and they need you. Say, well, I think I'm okay. Well, maybe then you are needed by somebody else. That's why the church is a family. It's not a club. It's a body. And what we need to understand is your greatest concern for yourself and for others is for victory in the spiritual battles. This is what we find in this passage, that, that the greatest need is not the physical battles, though those are needs and we pray for those and we should pray for those, but our greatest need is that spiritual victory. And, and Paul is telling them, you need to be praying all the time. And then there's this amazing switch that takes place in verse 19. The sentence doesn't even stop. It's not a new sentence. It's not a new paragraph. It continues. He's saying, praying with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and pray for me. And Paul is facing spiritual challenges. And he actually gives them two personal prayer requests. They're indicated by the little Greek conjunction that is, really means in order that. Our English word, that. We, found one, we find one in verse 19 and one in verse 20. And they're instructive for us because Paul is not asking, again, remember this is a prison epistle, and he's not asking for physical needs. Though he could. He could say, you know, pray the guards will be nicer to me. Pray that these shackles don't hurt my ankles quite as much. No, what does he pray for? 
Paul prays, asks them to pray for the advancement of the gospel. And the second thing we see in this passage is we need to pray for the advancement of the word of God. Paul's greatest concern is that the word would go forth. And he recognized that there's one point where the gospel can get cut off and it's the same problem that all of us face. The gospel can be hindered if we do not present it clearly and if we don't present it courageously. So his first prayer request is pray for gospel clarity. And we see that in in verse 19. He says, pray for me that utterance may be given to me. The word translated utterance is the, the word logos. It's referring to his speech. Paul's saying, pray that God will give me the words to say. He's not asking for eloquence, but he wants to be able to speak clearly. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he makes it clear that he's not presenting the, the gospel with some kind of human eloquence or human wisdom or, or manipulative, entertaining way. He's not saying, how can, I, how can I move the crowd by my verbal skill? That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, he told the church at Corinth that when he came to them, he was with them in weakness and fear and in trembling. You know, that's probably not going to be on our list of looking for a special speaker. We need somebody who's weak, fearful, and scared to death to get up in front of a crowd. Yeah, maybe not. But Paul said, that's how I was with you. He came in that way. And he said he wants the the gospel to be clearly presented in his speech. And so back in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 3, he said, I want to make known the mystery of the gospel. What was that mystery? Well, it was previously hidden, but it was that God was taking Jews and Gentiles and putting them together in a new humanity, a new body, the church, us. Paul said, I want that clear. This is what God is doing. We are in the church age. Unto him be glory in the church. But Paul knew that this was not a welcome message in the towns that he visited. And and it's not a welcome message today. Folks, understand where our culture is and where it's going, that if we preach the truth of the word of God, we are going to be outcasts. I've been receiving emails that tomorrow, supposedly, our Senate is voting on the misnamed Respect of Marriage Act. It is anything but a respect for marriage. It's moving away from a biblical mandate of one man and one woman. It's whatever any state says, every state has to recognize. And they will come after ministries with this. Mike Lee has offered an amendment that will protect ministries and most of the senators are rejecting it. We are not in a friendly world. Is this vile world a friend to grace to help us unto God? No. So what do we need? We need clarity. We can't hide the gospel. If the the gospel is hid, it's hidden to those who are lost. And the good news is only understood if we are clear on the bad news. That God is holy and we're sinners and God will judge sin. And there is a day appointed for that. So we pray for gospel clarity. And then the second request Paul has is pray for a God-centered courage. And this is verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly. And there's that second that from the Greek text of what he is saying. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think of Paul as somebody who lacked boldness. You know, if I, if I were to think of what Paul's needs were, boldness would not be one of them. And yet Paul was human, just like us. He didn't enjoy being insulted or assaulted. And he received both. And, and he understood that there was the tendency within his self to pull back. He was human. And, and so in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 2, he says, We came to you in Macedonia, and our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Paul said, when I took the gospel into Macedonia, into that region, he said, we were, we were confronted on the outside, and in, inside there was a turmoil. And then he recounts some of that in, in, in 2 Corinthians 11, of how he was persecuted. As I mentioned at the beginning, he was beaten by the Jews five times, received 195 lashes. He was beaten with rods three times and left for dead. He was shipwrecked he, he, three times. I mean, we don't even have all the details on this. And then he says, he, he goes on and says, I was traveling in danger of robbers. He was in danger of the Gentiles. He was in danger of his fellow countrymen. And then he says, and in perils among false brethren. Who are those? Those are professing believers. False believers who would stab him in the back. And it doesn't stop there. If you're reading in 2 Corinthians, it's almost like a bad infomercial. Oh, wait, there's more. And he goes on, he says, I was in weariness, toil, lack of sleep, hungry, thirsty, cold. And on top of that, he said, my deep concern for all the churches. He said, I wake up at night wondering, how, how are things going at Philippi? What in the world are they doing at Corinth? How, how can I help them from a distance? Do you ever wonder why, why he even bothered? If, if Paul ever had one of those moments where it's like, you know, I'm done with this. Just forget it. If that's the thanks I get, I'm out of here. Why wouldn't he do that? Because he was an ambassador. He had the message from a king from another country. He was a pilgrim living for another place and another time. Folks, we have a message this world needs to hear even though they don't think they do. The creator of heaven and earth has appointed a day when he will judge the world, but there is hope. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. We don't know when that day of appointment is, but it's closer now than it's ever been. And when we look at what's going on in our world, we think, you know, Lord, come quickly. And so we pray, and we put it on our prayer sheet every month when we have that prayer time as a church pray that God will stir the hearts of the unsaved and lead us to them and them to us pray pray that God will stir the hearts of those who are away from him and lead us to them and them to us that we would pray to this end and we also pray Lord protect us from those who are unteachable unleadable and divisive help them to change but if they won't change keep them from us and us from them why? Because Paul mentioned those false brethren who attacked him. You know, to stand firm in our world, to stand firm in ministry today, is not popular. And it's not easy. I've told our staff that in ministry you need to have a thick skin and a soft heart. And don't mix them up. But we have to realize we're, we're in a battle. 
Folks, I think all of us need to pray that we are never the cause of anxiety in the heart of a faithful servant of God because of our self-interest. To make the application from these points, pray that you are never the cause of anxiety or discouragement for, for somebody who's trying to serve the Lord. You know, for that Christian school teacher who's doing the best they can and may not get everything right, are you coming with a self-interest that's just going to discourage them and say, you know, I don't need this. I can make a whole lot more money doing something else. Yeah, but it's ministry. Or that person who spent hours preparing a Bible study lesson, and, but you heard a message on the radio that had a different point of view. Don't discourage them because of self-interest. Or that person who spent hours preparing a handout and you found the one spelling error that, that five proofreaders missed. And it happens. And we want to do things better. But folks, let's be careful. It's not because of our self-interest. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 17, verse 1, said, that, disciples, it is impossible that no stumbling block should come, but woe to him by whom they do come. Yes, there are going to be problems. There are going to be stumbling blocks. There are going to be challenges. But let's pray, Lord, don't let it be me because of selfishness. Now, there are times we have to confront issues. But don't let it be because of selfishness. Don't be that guy. So what am I supposed to do? Be the guy that we see at the end of this letter. Because the third thing we see is partner with those who are faithfully serving. And we find this in the concluding verses as Paul, Paul says, I'm sending Tychius to you. And then he tells us about him. In the, in the closing verses of this amazing letter, we meet a man, Tychius. We really don't know much about him. He isn't, kind of, he isn't one of the big names like Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Timothy, or even Mark. He's one of those lesser lights. He's really like most of the apostles that we've looked at. They're faithful without fame. Most of the 12 apostles, we know very little about them. Some of them, all we have is their name. And, And it's only a few that we get larger windows, but the largest group is those who are faithfully serving. Tychius is one of those. He's named five times in the New Testament, and it's always in connection with Paul, and four of those times, he's being sent by Paul to a church. He was kind of Paul's instant messenger. (laughs) Anytime he needed to send some, Antichius was part of what God was doing in the church by Christ Jesus to proclaim the word. And what can we see from him? Well, number one, develop spiritual relationships. Paul says he was a beloved brother. He was part of the spiritual family. He understood the gospel of Jesus Christ that is laid out back in chapter 2. There had been a point where Tychius had turned from his sin and trusted in Christ alone. So he has a spiritual relationship. The second thing is he's determined to serve. He's referred to as a faithful minister. He was loyal to the Lord. He would advance the cause of Christ. He would take that letter to these various churches he, he served in these areas. And, and what a great testimony to have to say, yes, that person is a faithful minister. Behind the scenes, serving the Lord. The third thing we see, though, is he shared the good news. He sent to you for this very purpose. I've sent him with a goal in mind. 
I want, you to, I want Tychius to share with you what's going on. He wanted that first-hand account of what Paul was doing so that they could ask him questions because I'm sure they would have questions. And you, you know how it is. Different people ask different sets of questions. And so Paul writes a letter and they say, well, what about this? And how is Paul doing in this? And, and Tychius was there to answer those. That he could deliver the message and he did it to the church at Ephesus. He did it to the church in Colossae. I mean, he had this first-hand information because he was also an ambassador for Christ. And to be an ambassador, you have to have a personal relationship with the person who sends you. And as we share the gospel, the, the fourth thing that we see is that he would comfort other believers. That he may comfort your hearts. In fact, it's interesting, in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Paul indicates that he's thinking of sending Tychius to Crete and, and so that Titus could then go to be with Paul. Now, if you know anything about Crete, if you've read Titus, you find out Crete was not an easy place to minister. The Cretians were not known for their stellar character and commitment, even among their own people. They had a reputation. But Paul was confident that Tychius could carry on the work. Why? Because he was faithful. The last reference we have to this man is in 2 Timothy 4, verse 12, where Paul tells Timothy that he's sending Tychius to Ephesus. And the implication is he wants Timothy to leave Ephesus and come to Rome to be with him. And we see, here's a man that we can partner with in ministry. And then the, the letter concludes, really, by going back to where it began, that we would edify one another with Christ-like sincerity. Paul d brings the letter back to where it started. The Holy Spirit kind of bookends it as he, as he speaks of that grace and peace from God. And now he switches the order at the end. Peace to the brethren, love with faith, grace be with all those who love our Lord. He's prayed that they would grow in their knowledge of the love of God. And he's encouraging them, be faithful. That we would strive to be faithful. Can others count on you? We need a church family. Parenting, marriage, work relationships, and the spiritual battle that we're all involved in all come on the foundation of what God is doing in the church. Because we need each other. The letter begin, ends where it began speaking of the grace and peace from God. Because peace can only come from God. We live in a world of turmoil. We have people all around us trying to make life work without Christ, and they're not at peace, and they won't be. Because life without Christ can't work. So what do they need? They need the clarity of the gospel. Do we present it clearly and boldly? Pray that the word would run and that God would be glorified and that that would be the testimony of Tri-City Baptist Church so that we are victorious in the battle. Paul's actually given us what we need through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's God's word. But we have to be a people of prayer, partnering with others that together we would serve the Lord. Let's pray together.